You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. But to each of one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Hello, uh, I'm Adam, I'm one of the pastors here at DPC and welcome to Morning Church. How exciting. It's, it's a bit disorientating, the sun's on that side, not that side. I think I'm getting used to it though. Um, now, Advent is almost here and I've put together a Christmas resources page. It's linked on the welcome card or you go to our website slash Christmas, a whole bunch of Advent resources. You've got two weeks until the first Sunday of Advent, so get online, order some books, make it happen so you can be preparing your heart to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, while you're on the welcome card, uh, more importantly, there's an outline for today's sermon. You might find that helpful to follow along. Uh, there's no slides today, so you've just got to listen to me, look at my face or look at your Bible, which might be a better thing to look at. Uh, let's pray uh, and we'll get stuck into it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people, uh, to hear your word, and we pray that you would speak to us today, to speak to our hearts and minds, so that we might know how to live well as your people and how to serve and love and follow Jesus. Amen. The Apostle Paul loved to talk about the church. And one of the favourite ways that he described, one of his favourite ways to describe the church is to call it the body of Christ. It's a wonderful picture because it shows that the church is not just an organisation with structures, it's also an organism with various parts that work together. It's alive and dynamic. And it's Christ's body because he's the head not just organisationally, but organically. As the head, he's the source of the life that flows throughout the connected body of all believers. In Ephesians 4, our passage for today, Paul shows us that this body needs to grow. See, the church isn't born fully matured. And the way that it grows is through our collective efforts. As we work through this idea today, I want you to hold two concepts together in your mind. Uh, first of all, there's only one body of Christ. It's the universal spiritual church made up of all believers throughout space and time. The other concept is that there are local expressions of that body, which have differing levels of growth compared to one another. I'm talking about particular visible churches. You know, gatherings of Christians like DPC. So as we grow, 
particular churches grow, but also the universal church grows. Paul speaks about this growth in verses 15 and 16. Have a look in your Bible. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Christ is our head and we need to mature and grow up into him. Verse 12 says that we are to be built up. Verse 13 says that we are to become mature. This is not just maturity in terms of acting like a grown-up. It's maturity in terms of being fully grown. I'm actually really impressed by the teenagers in our church. I think they're all quite mature in terms of being grown-up. But they're not fully grown yet, are they? Now, while I hope that some of the boys, including my son Noah, will stop growing taller, because let's face it, they're already giants, they do still need to come into the full measure of their manhood. In the same way, the girls need to come into the full measure of their womanhood. It's about reaching their full growth potential. It's about becoming adults. In the same way, Paul wants the body of Christ to become fully mature, to reach adulthood and to be perfected in that. This is made clear by the final part of verse 13. It says this, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a very spiritual sounding phrase, isn't it? But what does it actually mean? Well, we are to be filled with Christ-like character and qualities. When the world looks at a mature local church, they will see Christ displayed in the way those believers interact with one another, how they speak and serve and love. I think about my own kids. I hope that one day they will attain to the whole measure of the fullness of being a Humphreys. I want them to grow up as adults and bear the physical family resemblance. Although I do admit that my kids look more like Tracy than they do look like me. But more importantly, I want them to reflect the character and values of my family. I want people to be able to look at my grown children and to go, these are the kids of Adam and Tracy because we see the family resemblance in how they behave. That's exactly what Christ wants for us. And so to do that, we need to grow up. We'll explore how it is that we grow up, but first, let's look at the benefits of growing up. It's our next major point on our outline, the benefit of growing up. The first benefit that Paul lists is unity. Have a look at the end of verse 12, start of verse 13. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So as we grow up as a church, we'll become more united. And do you notice that this unity is about our faith and about the knowledge of the Son of God? We are united in our trust of Jesus, but also the content of what we believe about Jesus. There are many who claim to be Christians, but they deny key truths about Christ. They might deny that he actually died for our sins. You know, he was just a good example. He didn't actually die for our sins. They might deny that he rose physically from the dead. You know, it's just kind of a spiritual resurrection. 
They might deny that he's the only way to the Father. You know, he's just one of many ways to be right with God. Unless these people grow up, they cannot have true unity with the body of Christ. In fact, many of them may not even be part of the true body of Christ. So a key benefit of being built up is that we grow in our unity around Jesus, around who he is, what we believe about him and our trust in him. We grow in our certainty, in our confidence, and that actually strengthens the bonds between other believers who share, to the, who share the same convictions as us. Unity. This then leads to the second benefit of growing up. It means we can stand against false teaching. Have a look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. The benefit of growing up is that we will have confidence and stability. But I just want to pause for a sec and think about Paul's illustration. I don't know about you, but I don't recall ever seeing babies being tossed about on the ocean waves or blown around by gusts of wind. It's a weird metaphor, isn't it? I don't think that's ever been a common occurrence, even in Paul's day. Maybe things were wilder then, but not that wild. But we get what he means, don't we? An infant, in this case, is someone who is immature and easily led astray. And there are people out there who want to control and trick and harm Christians. And infants are easy targets. You know, a new believer will learn that Jesus came into the world to give his life for them. They'll learn about how they are saved by God's grace, not through their own efforts, their own works. But a crafty person might come along and say, well, Jesus only gets you started on the path to salvation, but you've got to put the effort to walk in to get to the end to complete your salvation. Or they might say, look, Jesus doesn't really care how you live. He just wants to accept you and you to accept everyone how they are. He doesn't want anyone to change. Just love and accept everyone. Or they might say that salvation is only found in joining the one true, correct local church. And if you're not part of that church, you can't be saved. Now, it can all sound very convincing. And this deceitful scheming can toss baby Christians around. It's also true of churches as a whole, of Christian groups. If they lack unity and maturity, they can easily be swayed by a, a cunning, persuasive man who poses the godly teacher or a crafty woman who claims to be a genuine spiritual guide. They can get swept up in the, the latest craze or fad or movement or outreach strategy without really considering, is this biblical? Does this point to Christ? Is this true? Do you want to experience unity and maturity as a church? Do you want to be able to stand together against false teaching? I mean, not if that's something that you want. I give you permission to nod. Not if that's something that you want. And so if DPC is to experience these benefits, we need to grow up, don't we? We need to mature. But how do we do that? This gets us to our next major point, the means of growing up. Paul starts our passage by saying that Jesus gives gifts to each of his people in different measures. 
Let me read out verses 7 through 10 and then we'll unpack them a little. Paul writes this. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Paul's quoting from Psalm 68, verse 18, which was originally about God setting the Israelites free, you know, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. He's depicted as the divine warrior who conquers his enemies and then receives gifts from people as tribute. Now, Paul has reshaped this verse so that it applies to Jesus, who is the divine warrior who conquered sin, death and the devil. And rather than the emphasis being on him receiving gifts, he gives gifts to his people. He did this after his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven. And he's still giving out gifts today from his heavenly throne. I'm not going to say more at this point on Paul's use of the psalm, but I'm happy to chat to anyone who's really interested about that. I can chat later. The key thing that Paul is trying to say is that the glorified Jesus Christ provides gifts of his grace to his people. Now, this is not saving grace, as if some people are more saved than others. It's an additional gift of his undeserved kindness, which empowers believers to serve. This is about our gifts, our abilities, which we use to be a blessing to others. And there's a really important idea that we easily miss here. Do you notice how Paul says that grace is given as Christ apportioned it? See, each person receives gifts according to a different measure, as determined by Jesus himself. This idea is picked up again in verse 16. Have a look at verse 16. Paul says that the body grows as each part does its work. To put it simply, Christians serve according to the abilities, the capacities, the opportunities that Jesus provides them in line with his grace. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me really clearly on this. We don't all have the same gifts. And when we do share some of the same gifts with someone else, we can have them in different measure. This is really liberating because guess what? It's not a competition. Jesus wants you to serve according to the means that he has granted you, not according to the means that he's granted to somebody else. This has helped me because I'm not the greatest preacher. I'm not the best guitar player. I'm not the superior administrator. There are people who are better at these things than me. Yet I'm still able to use these gifts according to the measure that Christ has given me so that I can bless you, the church that I love. And Jesus does call us to serve our church. It's the next sub-point in our sermon outline. Jesus calls us to serve with works and words. 
You can see in verse 12 that we as Christ's people are to engage in works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up. It's talking about ministry. We are to serve within the church in practical ways so that others can be blessed. Just to labour this point, Jesus gives us gifts and we are to use them. We're not meant to sit back and just keep them to ourselves. And we use these gifts not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. You don't serve so you can make a name for yourself or feel good about yourself. And this is a real challenge to our culture with its focus on expressive individualism. Not that people go around using that label and refer to it that way. But see, we've, we've believed the lie in our society that to be a fulfilled person, you must give full expression to your true self. You need to fully express that which makes you a unique and special individual. And so if you want to be a singer, then sister, go sing. If you want to mentor someone, then brother, go do it. And we believe that anything short of this would do damage to your psyche. Yet that's not the Christian way. Paul doesn't say, search within to find your passion and your true self and then do whatever it takes to live out your dream. Don't let anyone stand in your way. As if this is what Christ bestows upon you. Instead, Paul says we need each other. It's not about the individual. We have a corporate identity. It's about the body. And we are to humbly, prayerfully seek opportunities to exercise whatever gifts that Jesus has graciously given us for the benefit of others. You see, the goal is not to express ourselves, is it? And our wonderful talents and gifts. The goal is to express Christ, to express his love, his grace, his mercy to one another. And that means that our works of service can range from difficult roles that require lots of technical skill to simple activities like writing out name tags. And yes, you need to be able to spell and form nice letters, but, you know, writing out name tags and washing dishes. These are all works of service. Paul says that we're also called to use our words to help the church grow up. Is what verse 15 is about. After describing immature Christians as being like tumbling infants, he writes this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This is a mark of maturity. We'll use our words to serve others. And these are not just any old words. Sometimes this verse is quoted as about speaking true things in a kind way, and I confess I've even used it that way myself. You know, like when Tracy tells me that some of the jokes I make in my sermons are actually not quite as funny as I think they are. She tells me the truth, but in a loving way, right? She's speaking the truth in love to me. Now, of course, we are to be loving when we say true but hard things. We have to remember the context of this verse. It's about how to not be tossed about by false teaching. A mark of maturity is that we share true teaching, 
We speak the truth about Jesus and the gospel out of a desire to love others. We share the Bible with one another. We declare the wonderful truths about who God is and what he has done. We are to serve others with our works and our words. Sounds like a lot though, doesn't it? How can we actually learn to do this? Well, I'm glad you asked because Paul has the answer for us in verses 11 and 12. It's our next sub-point. Jesus gives four officers to equip his people. After applying Psalm 68 to Jesus who gives gifts, Paul then writes this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Jesus gives gifts to individuals, but he also gives some individuals as gifts to the church. And there are four categories of people that Paul lists here. We might even call them officers of the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists and pastor teachers. Now, perhaps it's not all that obvious in the English, but I think these last two pastors, teachers, belong together as a single office. And there are different ways that teachers, scholars approach these four gifts, but I'm going to outline what I think is the view that best fits the context. So the apostles and prophets refer to roles that existed immediately after the time of Jesus, after his time on earth. The apostles were Jesus' special disciples, you know, the, the 12 that he set aside, sent them out to establish the work of the church. They had his authority to declare the truth and lay the foundation. The prophets were those who had a lesser role, but they still ministered at the same time and spoke authoritative words from God. I think this actually fits well with the end of chapter 2 in Ephesians. If you've got a Bible open... Just glance back to chapter 2 where Paul writes about the church. Verse 20, he says this, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. These apostles and prophets have completed their work, but their ministry continues in the New Testament. That's where their teachings have been recorded for us. So they still serve and minister to us through those words. So I don't think we need apostles and prophets today, but we still have evangelists and pastor teachers. Evangelists could be missionaries, church planters. They are those people who tend to pioneer new works in new areas. And pastor teachers are those who shepherd particular flocks of people. I think this last one is a combined office because a pastor who doesn't teach isn't really a pastor. And a teacher who doesn't pastor is not one who has the primary role of equipping the church. And so as a Presbyterian minister, my calling is to be a pastor teacher. Now, each of these four roles are word-based. Their job is to teach the truth about Jesus and the word of God. This then equips the people of God for their works of service. It also equips people to speak the truth in love. This is why they are a gift from Jesus to the church. But just to clarify, pastor teachers should not view themselves as God's gift to the church, as if the church should swoon at our feet and be ever so grateful that they can bask in the glory of our sermons. It's not what it's about. 
We are humble servants like the rest of you. We just have a particular role in equipping. So let's sum up this passage before we move on to looking at how we implement this at DPC. All Christians are united together as the spiritual body of Christ, with him as the head. And the body is meant to grow up into maturity so that we become a mature adult that fits with our head. I don't know if you've ever taken a close look at a baby and realised their heads are huge compared to their body, right? The body needs to grow up to kind of grow into their head. Well, that's what we need to do as a church. And the benefits of growth are that we become increasingly united and then we can stand against false teaching. The way we grow is through being equipped by the word through those who teach so that we can then serve with our works and our words. And all of this is empowered by the grace of Christ. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So let's now look at how we implement this at Darabin Presbyterian Church. And first up, I want to say I am so proud of DPC because we are a church where lots of people serve. They serve in official, formal ways. They serve in informal ways. They kind of serve in public ways, but also behind the scenes. Lots of people are doing lots of serving. Yeah, this passage, often when it's taught by ministers, they do so to help congregations to see that everyone has a role to play in the church. But I don't need to preach it for that main reason today. You guys already get that. How wonderful is that? What I do want to do now is lift the hood on how serving at DPC works and to also help you consider your current serving. The first thing to mention is that we teach the word of God. That's where our ministry begins. You all know we place an emphasis on teaching the Bible. We do this in our sermons, in our gospel communities, even in the various training sessions that we run. It's important, it's important that we remember this because it helps you understand the role of pastors. You can see this on your outlines. Pastors are not the ex- experts on each area, but rather equip through teaching the Bible. We might think that a pastor teacher has to equip the church through training people in every specific area of ministry. But if that was the case, the church would be limited by the gifts and capacities of their pastor or pastors. I can't play piano. I'm not an accountant. I'm no good at soothing crying infants in creche. I make this point because sometimes we can expect our pastors to be good at everything and then we get upset when they have weaknesses or limitations or areas they're just no good at. Now, of course, sometimes those weaknesses can be a concern but often they're just about different personalities and gifting. You see, our job is to teach. As I unpack the Bible, I hope that you'll come to know God in all of his majestic holiness and his gracious love, that you understand why God the Son had to come to earth as the man Jesus and die on the cross for your sins and why that is wonderful, amazing, life-changing news for you that you understand how the Holy Spirit shapes and grows you so that you are spiritually cleansed, your heart is transformed, your life is transformed as the Spirit works within you. 
The Bible reshapes your motivations, your desires, your passions, your character, your thinking, your goals, your relationships, your purpose. That's how you are equipped for works of service and words of truth spoken in love. Sure, I can train people on how to use Alvanto, and I really enjoy doing that. I can show people how to set up chairs in the perfect configuration. If you don't know this, there's actually a chart I've made inside that setup box over there. You can look and marvel at how to set up the chairs perfectly. But these things, they're not essential to my role, are they? You see, this understanding of the role of pastor challenges us all, and myself included. So don't see our pastors say, the CEO, who's the visionary leader who makes all the decisions but might be a bit sort of detached. Or the social activist who leads the charge in challenging the culture. Or an influencer who's just there to build his own platform to reach an ever-expanding audience. It's not about the pastor. It's about Christ. It's about equipping Christ's people to use the gifts that Christ has given them. One final word on this with regards to elders. I don't think that Paul necessarily has all elders in mind when he speaks of the office of pastor-teacher, but elders are called to do pastoring, to be shepherds, and they need to be able to teach. That's a key requirement. And we are blessed to have two elders at DPC who can do both of these well. And so Adam and Ken join with Aaron and I in the teaching that equips the church for works of service. So that's the first sub-point, a long one, I know. The first sub-point about how we implement this at DPC, we teach the word of God. The second one is this. We form ministry teams. We are convinced that the believers in a local church are to serve as a local body. We're meant to work together. And so we form teams so that people can achieve more by bringing their various gifts together. Some of these teams serve on Sundays, like welcoming and crash. Other teams serve outside of Sunday, like our communications department or the board of management. The point is that at DPC, we want people to serve together because we believe we are better together. Unfortunately, I think we can fall into two traps when it comes to serving in a team. You see, one is to not consider the rest of the team enough, and the other is to consider the team perhaps too much. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're overwhelmed or tired in serving, and you feel like it's time to take a break. Some people will make up their mind on their own and just inform their leaders that they're pulling back. And this can put a strain on the rest of the team as they're scrambling to fill the gap. They haven't really considered how this impacts on the team. Now, I have observed this at DPC, but it's a very small minority of people. The more common issue is that people give too much weight to the team and feel they can't take a break because they're going to be letting everyone else down. And so they'll just push themselves too hard and eventually hit a wall or even worse, become bitter about serving. So we need to, get a, we need to work on getting a balance between our personal needs, our genuine personal needs and the needs of the church. And my recommendation, recommendation is that we do this through communicating with our leaders. 
Most times when a conversation is held, a leader can help a volunteer to plan out a way to maybe adjust their role, maybe to phase out over time or to take a break for a season or to wrap up in that ministry. Now, I'm happy to report, and hopefully a number of you can confirm this, that I've had a ton of conversations like this over the years. We generally come up with a pretty good solution that helps people to make the adjustments that they need. And so this actually leads to our third and final sub-point about our implementation at DPC. We encourage conversations around sustainable serving. Now, anyone who has started serving at our church in the past few years will have done a serve chat with me or another member of our recruitment team, like Zoe. Our goal in serve chats is to get to know you a bit better. We want to hear about your interests, your experiences, your gifts. We also want to talk about kind of where our church is at, what our needs are. That's because we want to consider how best to match your gifts with the needs of the church. This is about sustainable serving rather than just like slotting people in randomly or putting them all in one area and the other areas struggle. We also encourage people to have conversations about on-ramps and off-ramps. Again, if you're new, you may have heard this language, but if you've been around a while, maybe you haven't. So here's the opportunity to hear about on-ramps and off-ramps. These are simple, natural ways to begin serving and to end serving. The serve chat is our primary on-ramp, but off-ramps come up when, say, we're preparing for our next block of Sunday service schedules. And in fact, that leads me into a little brief announcement that we're going to be doing some new schedules soon, getting ready for our Sundays and the new year. And so there'll be opportunities to reconsider your serving for next year if you want to stay in your team or change teams, take a break, whatever. So you'll be getting emails and information about that soon. Other off-ramps are when there are big life changes like having a baby, getting married, starting a new job, experiencing a season of sickness. It is perfectly reasonable for you to speak to me or another leader about taking a break. In fact, we may very well approach you first. But if we don't, this is your invitation to come and speak to us. We do this because of what I said earlier. Each Christian serves according to the abilities, the capacities and the opportunities that Jesus provides them in line with his grace. Your capacity will change over time. One of the things that Tracy and I have often observed and commented about DPC was planted by a number of people in their kind of 20s, maybe early 30s, been going hard for 10 or 11 years, but people's circumstances have changed over that time. When you're heading to the end of your 30s, you can't run like you're still in your 20s. That's okay. Also, your opportunities will change over time. Jesus gives you the grace you need for each season. And sometimes he gives you the grace to do more serving and other times he wants you to pull back. That's okay. And again, remember that Jesus apportions the grace. So you don't have to compete with others. It's fine if you need to go at a slower pace than other people. But also don't assume that those other people must be faking it on the brink of burnout just because they can serve more than you. They might be, but it could just be that they're serving within the means that Jesus has graciously given them. That's why we need to have conversations. Speak to a pastor, to an elder, speak to Alicia, your team leader, even team members. 
Jesus gives us the grace to serve, but we need to pray about how best to serve and we need to speak with God's people. If we are to serve in the body, then we need to be speaking to the body. Well, perhaps you felt challenged and convicted by this passage and want to know what to do in response. Two suggestions. One is, if you're not already serving, then why not consider filling in the serving form linked in the sermon outline? I'll then line up a serve chat with myself or someone else and we're going to have a talk about that. But two, if you're already serving and want to consider a change, then again, please have a conversation. Speak to me or one of your leaders. If you want to take a break, then hear me clearly. You're listening. I give you permission to take a break. Not that I need to give you that permission. You always have it. But I'm just reminding you. But just include us in the decision-making process. In fact, we've got a GC study coming up that will look at this topic, help us to think through how do we process that, what do we do next. If you want to serve somewhere else, then know that there are lots of opportunities. There are openings in the children's ministry, in PA, on the board of management. You might like to even help me on the recruitment team where you get to do serve chats and consider the big picture of filling our teams. If that excites you, come and speak to me. And also as we move into our new church property, there are going to be stacks of new opportunities to serve, many that we haven't even thought of yet. So let's wrap this up. Here's my summary of today's passage. Jesus matures his church through the works and words of his people who are equipped by the ministry of his word-based servants. This reminds us why we have a focus on Bible teaching, And also reveals that our emphasis is on character and godliness more than it is on skills. Yet our ultimate focus is on people. Which is why we want you to be able to serve in line with the grace that Christ has apportioned to you. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the head and that we are the body. This means you are the source, you give us the energy... You set the direction, you set the pace, you guide us. And so may we be humble servants. May we carefully assess our own capacities and opportunities, our capabilities, so that we can serve uh, reasonably, uh, sustainably, so that we can give of ourselves when we're able to, but also rest when we need to. And Lord, as we do this together, may we uh, speak with one another, plan together, so that we can keep growing and being united and be able to stand against false teaching, and be able to display Christ-like character to the world around us. So please strengthen and encourage us, Lord, as your body. Amen.